You're listening to the Fezcast, produced on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and featuring the independent thoughts, rants and rambles of Saracen's fans and special guests. If you'd like your opinion to be heard on the show, you can find the Fezcast on Facebook or Fezcast underscore SSA on Instagram and whatever Twitter is known as these days. But for now, enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Fezcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the, your next edition of the Festcast. And this one's got a bit of the feelings of Avengers Assemble, Gardens of the Galaxy, I think, because I think pretty much most of us have got a bit of input into this week's show. I'm sat here um, with Barry and Duncan, and we're going to do the interlude bits um, between all the little features we've got. Uh, Joe and Matt interviewed Sharifa Kasola Um earlier today and they'll do the review of the women's game against the tail, um, trail finders lovely win for the, the women there uh duncan's done a great interview with chris wilds well done duncan getting older chris because i've been trying to get hold of him for for donkey's years and not managed to do it and of course we'll talk about the six nations and everything but duncan burry how are you gentlemen you all look good i'm doing well yeah chris wilds t- said he'd been avoiding you for years jez <laughs> I don't blame him. I think I think he's worried I might drink too much of his uh, Wolfpack Lager for now. But there you go. And you you doing all right, Barry? Yeah, I'm doing fine, thanks. And it's uh, obviously not your round when it comes to Chris Wells. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, uh, let's um, let's start this off with a bit of a little introduction before we go into our first interview with Sharifa Casola and uh, Joe and uh, Matt. But um, wanted to just. Um, highlight a little bit of reaction to last week's show when we talked about Lucy Ray as CEO um, departing the club and um, it was really lovely after we put the show out I received an email um, from Lucy on Saturday morning where she basically said you know she listened to the best cast which is great because we know she does listen to the best cast which is fantastic and she said she wanted to say thank you so very much for the lovely words um, they're massively appreciated and mean a great deal. And she says, as you can imagine, it's been hugely emotional, as I always love our club. And she said, look forward to seeing you all at Stonex soon. If you do see me, then always feel free to stop me and say hello. Keep up the awesome work you do for all of our Surrey supporters. And just shows the class of the lady, Barry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's no surprise that, that she's responded in that way. And uh, let's hope that our good relationship continues with uh, with Mark Thompson in the future. I mean, I'm sure there's a an open invitation to him to come on here and, and uh, follow up in the, the good work that, uh, that Lucy's uh, set out. Indeed. And I think Sam um, actually summed it up quite nicely for us on our little WhatsApp group where he pointed out, you know, this is exactly what people outside of Saracens don't realise about Saracens. And actually, if they knew that this is the sort of leadership we've had at the club, they would see us in a very different light, wouldn't they, Duncan? Yeah, they would. And uh, I attended a a Saracens fan forum meeting last week as the local Mill Hill rep. And, uh, you know, the the Saris staff there were confirming that she's just been a great person to work for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I did reply to email um, if, and invited Lucy on again to speak to us as a fan in the future. As, as I say, she'll always be welcome on the um, the first cast. Um, 
And also, obviously, you know, it'd be lovely to hear her thoughts and give her the opportunity to speak to the fans. So we'll wait and see if that happens. And again, as you say, Barry, the the invite's out to Mark Thompson. Ollie at the club's uh, where club's on holiday at the moment, pretty much. But when he's back, we'll get that in the uh, in the diary. Um, shall we move on though and um, play in the interview that um, Joe and Matt did with Sharifa Kasola and uh, have a um, and listen to them review the brilliant win for the women getting against Trailfinders, getting back on the bus as it were, and and back to winning ways. You're listening to the Fezcast. Hi, Alex Osterbury here, director of rugby for Saracens Women. You're listening to the Saracens Fezcast. This is the Fezcast. It's been a little while since I've uh, since I've done an interview on the Fezcast, and it's pretty obvious because I've not prepared anything and I've not even watched the match that we're uh, going to be talking about. So I'm just getting that out there straight away. But we are joined by Sharifa Casella this week, and Joe Peake is with me as well. So I am probably going to shut up for most of this and uh, and let Joe loose. But Sharifa, firstly, how are you doing? You've made a bit of a return to the uh, the team this week um, in a victory over Ealing. You you feeling good after that? Hello, thank you for having me, first of all. And yeah, I'm, I'm feeling great. Obviously, the week before we had a loss, so I guess it was like extra important for us to come back with a win. Um, it was nice coming back, playing at home. So yeah, I can't complain. Great stuff. Um, so um, you've really kind of hit the ground running in your last kind of 18 months, two years with Saracens now. Um, give us your little synopsis of how you think the season has gone so far for you and the squad. Yeah, this season has been, if, uh, I think it's, it's felt different to last season. I definitely feel this season we've had a, a kick up in just like everyone wanting to push themselves, like us to be the best, um, just us raising our own standards. Um, I think the thing that, draws me the most to Saracens is probably just the exposure to the players, like the people that I get to see every single week, multiple times, play with, train with, um, and the coaches. I think like Saracens are renowned for like the players that they have. I think probably from a fan's point of view, um, last season there was a bit of a slower start in terms of the wins. We started off with, you know, Wins on the bounce, on the bounce, on the bounce this season. Obviously, first loss last weekend, which was, you know, unfortunate, but picked yourself back up this week. So, yeah. you know, what has what's kind of been the, the difference this season in terms of that drive? From a fan's perspective, I think it think it looks like we've got such um a diverse range of players and it comes across as you're all competing for those spots, starting positions, positions on the bench. You know, it's a great position for Alex and the coaching team to be in with the, with the breadth and depth of players and new young players that we've got coming through. Um, but, but is there a competitive feel in the squad and is it a friendly competitiveness that, that drives you all to just be better? And to be fair, I think um, particularly me personally, I guess like sort of for the wider squad, I do think, us having that slow start last season and, you know, being so close to the final and obviously losing in the semi-final is a a factor in us just wanting to have a, a way better start this season. You know, like those things stick with you. And I, I remember like when we played Exeter and lost, like just in myself feeling like, you know, like I wish I could have done more. Like I want to to be better and, and contribute more to the team. And like, you know, like that, 
all starts with just us, you know, being ready at the start of the season and and you know making sure that we know our jobs, we know each other's jobs, and and you know we have a fast start. Like there's there's no, it is a long season, but I I just feel like there's no time to be sort of dwelling on losses and um I think like that's why we've we all kind of kicked into gear and and you know making sure that we we go into each week attack it come away with the wins um so I guess like now that we've had that loss it is like that feeling again of of you know us reflecting back on like you know we don't want to have that same feeling again so yeah I'm, I'm sure that we can just continue ahead in the rest of this season and, and make sure that we're coming away with more wins. Well, and, and you, you talked about yourself there and the drive that you personally have. I mean, you've got some really experienced players around you there in that in that back row. What What's that like for you personally, not just um, from um, a Saracens perspective, but you've been introduced to the England training camp very recently. So congratulations to you for that. So what, how does that sort of help you and drive you as a player on, on a personal level? I think it's just the realness of seeing these players like just right there in front of you, like Marley, Poppy, Sophie, like these players who have got immense international experience, um, you know, G as well. And like, I, yeah, I, it's just having that contact time and like you, you see like why they are the top of their game, like, from like how they train like their attitudes their mindset and it just makes it a whole lot real than you know rather than like sort of seeing your heroes through a screen on tv sort of thing this is where, this is where the difficult questions come now Charles, because matt's in now no i'm just Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean every time we have a guest on this show we always ask them about how they got into rugby and and their background and everyone turns around and goes yep i was first chucked a ball at eight years old and and i played for this club in my juniors and i did this and i did that but your story is actually a little bit different to most and it shows clearly the difference between a good athlete and me i went to university and the first thing i did was go to my freshers fair and join the real ale society and i went spent four years on the piss you went to the freshers fair and took up rugby what made you do that what made you decide rugby was the sport for you because you know coming in a little bit later than a lot of people yeah uh, you've had a pretty fast rise in the game it has to be said you know i'm I'm actually surprised that a, a real ale society and a rugby society haven't done a, a joint social together. I'm sure they can go hand in hand. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely a completely different story. I feel like a lot of people, as you said, like start picking a ball up when they're really young. For me, it was um, like playing netball. I just, it just didn't feel enough. Um, I think that was particularly just due to not um, having access to to take it to another level so I just sort of became bored of it um and I was like right I need to find a new sport it's got to be something ball in hand and I don't want to do an individual sport because it's nice playing with friends um and yeah just the, the school I went to was like quite rugby focused with the boys and again like seeing the boys week in week out like playing these matches having loads of fun together that was just like that sense of community where I was like I want to experience that. So I guess like that was the sort of turning point for me being like, right, I want to give rugby a go. Um, and then where I lived at the time, again, I didn't really like know how to get into it. Um, wasn't really sure about like clubs and stuff like that, but the timing just worked out that when I started uni, um, 
you know, like that's obviously a great opportunity to pick things up. And yeah, just went along to the Freshers' Fair, knowing that that was something I wanted to do. Um, I actually almost backed out of it because my one of my housemates, we before I went to one of the taster sessions, we went and watched um, one of the university games. And I remember him being like, oh, I just don't think you're going to enjoy this. Like, just basically like psyching me out. And I remember like I walked to a taster session and then I just walked back to my halls because I was like, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, but then I was like, just go. Because I, I then found out there was um, other girls like in my halls that also were going to the taster sessions. And yeah, I haven't looked back. So I'm glad I actually went back and, and didn't listen to the the voices and my, my housemate just psyching me out. And we're also glad that you didn't do that either because you've had um Matt has said it before, quite meteoric rise. You know, we rave about you here on on the Fezcast and you're tackling and you're carrying with the ball and um it's clear that you're enjoying your rugby with Saracens and we're very glad to have you here. I think if I remember correctly, and this can be edited out if I'm not right, Matt, were you players player last season? Is that right? I was. Yeah, and I it was, I knew I was right. I, yeah, I I was gobsmacked. Like some people were like, like, why are you so surprised? Like, I was generally just like, like, what what on earth? And I yeah, I I actually had no words after receiving that. So yeah, that that was an immense and that's definitely gonna be in my highlights of achievements of my life to date. I'm just gonna chuck it out there. Do you know who else picked you for player of the season? No way. <laughs> he did. He absolutely did. Wow. Yeah, hey. no, it, it, you had a fantastic season, and, and Joe talked about it as well. Um, you're playing in a back row that contains some serious stars in world rugby, and I think that is probably, like you said, it's to your benefit as well. But it just mm-hmm. shows how quickly. I mean, and just going back to the university side of things, you you would have basically first picked up a rugby ball properly, what seven eight years ago? If is that? Or... Yeah, I think. This is my sixth season or seventh of playing yeah. rugby. And and you've been picked in an England squad after that amount of time. Like it's it is my just head's exploding. My head's exploding. It's <laughs> so good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I do feel like I'm trying to just take it day by day, but yeah, when you like when I have that conversation with somebody else, it is like immense. Mm. Oh, I'm not surprised. And and sort of being picked up by Saracens, how how did that sort of come about? Um, so I, uh, so you know, you have, you have your champ one teams and then those teams that filter off into the different county leagues. So I was playing with Kent um, and th- that, that again was something that I always wanted to do when I was quite young, like back at school, there was a couple of girls that um, played rugby for Kent, but I, I just wasn't involved with rugby at that time. And so that was like a, something I wanted to tick off my bucket list. And yeah, I, I can't actually remember who the county was we were playing. I feel like I have Buckingham Shear in my head, but that might not be accurate. So I need to check that. And then, yeah, McKenna was at the game. Um, and I also had uh, one of my teammates played Alex. She played at Saracens as well. So there was like um, sort of like two connections to Alex that um, – basically facilitated me getting involved with Saracen. So, yeah, I think, like, that that was, like, quite a nice way to get in because it's sort of just, like, right time, right place. You've probably led us quite nicely on there to talk talk about the Ealing game because the Ealing game saw a, a return 
to, I'd like to say, forever youthful Sarah McKenna back into the centres. So tell us how you found that that game, Chazzy. Uh, well, yeah, firstly with McKenna, I just you notice when she's on the pitch every time, like she just, it's just the, the knowledge and the experience, just so calm and collected. Like that is what I aspire to be, just so, just with everything. Um, and yeah, like it, uh, I enjoyed the game. I, I do feel like kind of reflecting back on it, I do feel like, um, there were bits where I don't know if this is just like us wanting to strive for perfection all the time, but yeah, I do kind of feel like there were little bits where I'm like, oh, like could we have done differently there or better? But like, there's always something to take from these sort of games. So um, I'm glad like we still came came um, from that with a win, and there's still things to to look at. So I guess like that's always how we're going to be able to improve. Yeah, I mean, Elin first first season in in the Women's Premiership, they're an up-and-coming team. We've got some star players there, and I think we saw a couple of those um, in action this weekend. And Abby Dow is just ridiculous with her, with her speed, and it feels like everything else is in go-slow when she runs sometimes. She is, she is quite ridiculous. But um, I think it was a really competitive game. Um, I think there was some really strong, outstanding performances there from from the women in in, in black and you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. A couple of things probably to to work on going forward, and um, then uh, some some real positives in terms of the players that you've got back. We talked about Sarah McKenna there, and we talked about yourself coming back as well um, into the squad after a little bit of um, time out. But it's a really strong position that I think uh, Saracens find themselves in in terms of Alex's ability to rotate that squad now with the 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 quality and star um, quality of the players that, that we've got across probably every single playing position there now. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, firstly, props to Ealing. As you said, like a new team, um, they've really been putting all the other teams in the league under under pressure. So, you know, who knows where they're going to be next season once they've had that year together um, and got a feel of everything. And yeah, like insane individual performances, like, Sydney Gregson just hands down um, like there's nothing even more to say um, and just as well like Tori getting a chance to I think that was her first game at home yeah her first B game um, yeah so it's it's nice like having just different people shine in different games and I guess like different games will challenge us in different ways so that's where it's quite nice that certain individuals and their their strengths can really show in certain situations. And looking forward then, so next weekend, um, and I will use this opportunity to absolutely plug for people to get get tickets, um, the Jewel, um, Harlequins, um, another derby, so two derby weekends in a row, but um, a derby with a little bit more history than we find with Trailfinders currently. At home at the Stonex. So people that are listening, if you haven't got your tickets to that, get your tickets. Ten pound for adults, five pounds for children. Lots going on. Hospitality tickets, I think, are still available as well. If you fancy going and sitting up um, and having some decent food as well. But Shaz, come on, sell sell us the jewel. You've played in um, a derby <laughs> against against Quinns before. What can the fans expect to see um, this coming weekend at, at Stonex? Well, Quinn's 
as some of us may have seen, had a great game against Sale this weekend. So I'm sure they are all raring to go. I'm sure they're all fired up with that huge win. Um, may have had a slower season, but great game. So, you know, they can put that past them. Um, we love a London derby. I feel like... Um, Quinn's like coming off of a, a huge win like that, us coming off of a huge win. You know, we want these two teams to just go at each other, two big London teams. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I, I just think it's it's going to be beefy, but it doesn't have to be too beefy. But, um, yeah, I just I just get your tickets. Yes, you heard it here, people. Sharifa says, go get your tickets. I recommend it. The, the duel is always an excellent, excellent game. Um, some quality players out on display um, on both sides um, of the turf. And I think genuinely it'll be um, a really, really excellent game of, of rugby to watch. Um, and what we should say is that if you fancy hanging around after the main event, the duel, um, the Centre of Excellence Academy players play Quinn's um, uh, Centre of Excellence in the Academy directly after the women's game. Um, so that will also be a really good game to watch for those people that feel like hanging around. So you're going to get two games for the price of one um, at Stonex this Saturday, and I think it's a 12:30 kickoff if I remember correctly. So keep yourself there, nice and nice and early. Don't worry about the fact that it's on TNT. Better come watch it live um, because you'll be able to hear the crunching tackles that Sharifa and uh, the rest of the women in black put in against their Quinn counterparts. Just just got to be there for the vibes and then yeah, they'll enjoy it so much that they'll they'll want to re-watch it on TNT later after they've come in person That's to see it. One. That's the one. Uh, and there's nothing better. It really supports the girls. I know how much you all you all really appreciate the crowd coming down to to see you, you the amount of time you spend with the crowd afterwards and signing all the autographs and having all the selfies. So, you know, come down and, and support your women's team. Um uh, for what's going to be an absolutely cracking game of, of rugby next week. I think there's a bit of an added dimension to it as well this weekend, isn't there? Because Queens aren't having the best of seasons. Um, and, you know, it's always been been a big game because it's been, for a while, it's top two in the league, be Saracens and Quinns. Um, but, yeah, they're not having the greatest of seasons and they'll be properly up for it to uh, to get a bit of momentum, won't they? So, um, as, as Sharif says, there's going to be, um, I, I think there'll be some big hits. <laughs> Um, but vibes, definitely, definitely the vibes. But Sharifa, thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the on the show today. Really do appreciate it, and uh, we do hope it all goes well at the weekend. And I'll vote for you again for Player of the Season as well. Thank you for having me. Um, you don't worry. You don't need to to preempt voting for me. I'm sure there's there's other contenders that have stepped up this year. Um, and yeah, I hope I can come back and talk to you guys on a, another episode in the future. Absolutely. Matt and I will both be, both be there at the weekend, so we might even catch you for a post-match chat this weekend. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much, Sharifa, and pass you back to the rest of the show, everyone. You're listening to the FezCast. You're listening to the FezCast, which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association, and I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in-person player events, away match ticket allocations, and we organise pre-match gatherings at away matches. 
We sponsor men's and women's players and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that, every year we have a seasonal SSA badge which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. Well, yeah, wonderful uh, to hear from Sharifa there. Uh, Brilliant interview from Joe and Matt and uh, lots of insight there. Let's move on, shall we, to another interview and part one of an interview that you, um, Duncan, did with Chris Wiles. And I say, well done for nailing him down because he is a bit like Jelly at times, trying to nail him down. But really, I think everybody's going to really enjoy this little chat, Duncan. Hope so. Is the Fezcast. Saracens have had some great wingers over the years and we've got some great wingers now, but really pleased to welcome someone who's right up there with the best of them. Welcome to the Fezcast, Chris Wiles. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being on. I know it's been a, a long time coming. We've discussed coming onto this podcast for a while, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. Look forward to chatting. Yeah, pleased that you're here as well. As usual, let's start at the beginning. I'm assuming that you took up rugby when you moved to the UK from the US when you were 11 years old, I believe. Were you playing American sports before then? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that question because it's only in retirement and with my kids picking up sport that I've reflected on the fact that I didn't actually really pick up a rugby ball until I was 11. So you're right. I missed out on those early years playing rugby. And I think they can be pretty formative, but... I did play a lot of American sports. So basketball, baseball, played a lot of football. Didn't play too much American football because we weren't quite ready at the right age, but we played something called fumbleitis, which is where you just ran with a with a football. And you, if you held onto it, you just kept on running. So maybe a version of rugby whilst everyone was trying to tackle you. But yeah, so I missed out on those early years. And one story that really pops up in my mind is when I first played my first game, competitive game, or maybe it was actually training at Alderbury School, wasn't too far away from our training ground, uh, Old Albanians. And they put me on the wing, obviously kind of athletic and fast. And the opposite winger tried to go around me and I had never really tackled anyone. So I just side tackled them straight sent off immediately. So, <laughs> so it, wasn't the, it wasn't the best start. Instinctively put my foot out because actually growing up on the East Coast, in Pennsylvania, post-1994 World Cup, I was mad about football, soccer. So I came over wanting to be a football player. Uh, rugby was just kind of a, a side note, really. And it was the school that got you into it, was it? Yeah, I mean, I continued to play football at school. And then I found cricket, which I'd never really played either. So that was kind of, I was a left-hander, so I just hit the ball like a baseball. And then rugby, as I continued to play it, and as I continued to develop, I realised I enjoyed the physical side of the game. And so for a period of time, even at my secondary school, Haderbury, I still had this thought in my mind that I could be a footballer. And of course, that was never going to happen. So the longer it went on, the more I realised that if I want to be a professional sportsman, I think rugby is the way to go. So presumably you carried on at Nottingham Uni. That You then played in the championship for Nottingham and then on to Northampton Saints. And along the way, the US picked you up for sevens and the World Cup. How does that happen? Do you ring them up and say, oh, by the way, did you know I'm American? Well, in truth, because I wasn't exactly a mercurial rugby player, I'd say I, you know, I had a good attitude and I fitted well into the Saracens environment because worked hard and, and trained hard and, and did the things that I think were expected of me. I certainly wasn't playing age grade rugby when I was younger, 
I think I showed promise, but I, as I say, I wasn't mercurial and up there with some of the other stars at the time. So I um, got my degree at Nottingham, which I'm hugely thankful for, and did well in the championship. I played a lot of outside centre for Nottingham and loved that. I played with actually Tim Molinar at 12, if you remember that name. He was a, he was yeah. a beast of a player for Nottingham, ended up playing at Gloucester for a bit. But I, I had to sort of push my cause and got a trial at Northampton. And that was a really tough season. We ended up getting relegated. I don't know if you remember that season for Northampton. They had Carlos Spencer playing 10, Mark Robinson, Bruce Rahana, Sean Lamont, some big, big names. And I struggled to find my place. And I was a youngster and really didn't play that well, to be honest. And so I think America had someone scouting across Europe for eligible players. And they probably saw, I assume they saw I wasn't having the best time and knew that I was American qualified. I had also been selected for the England Sevens wider squad, but I never went on tour. So I never was committed to England. And so to be honest with you, at the end of my Northampton season, I was contemplating whether to go off to work and go follow some of my mates you know, into the city or do something different because I thought if this is going to be professional sport. This isn't for me. It was a really tough year. And when they offered this opportunity to play in the World Cup, I thought, well, this is... Well, first they offered the opportunity to play at Hong Kong Sevens, which I did and I loved and I've always loved Sevens. So representing the US first in Sevens under Al Caravelli. And then Peter Thorburn, who was a Kiwi coach, decided to put me into the trials and see if I could make the World Cup squad. And that's how it happened. Brilliant. What did you do at university, by the way? Politics. Politics. Yeah, yeah. That isn't going to feed into a later question because that wouldn't have helped you run a load of bars, though, would it? <laughs> no, it was one of those generic degrees. I found interesting, but I'm certainly not going to become a politician. I can tell you that for free. <laughs> oh, that's good. I believe it was at the World Cup that Eddie Jones noticed you and brought you down the M1 to Saracens. Yeah, we had a pretty tough group. Our first game was against England. So that was quite a big mental challenge for me, which was not having the greatest year in the Premiership with Northampton. And then my first kind of piece of activity, having left the Premiership, was to play against England, the opening game of the World Cup. We actually did okay. It was a fairly tight contest. We were pretty physical. And then, yeah, we played Tonga, Samoa, and then South Africa in our final game, which is funny. I, I scored a try against South Africa, but a, a certain Taku Nguenya also scored a pretty decent try. So my, mine was about from five metres out. His was a, a ridiculous turn of speed against Habana. So no one remembers my try. But Eddie Jones, being Eddie, I think saw some promise in me. I had known that I had a year in the Premiership and took a punt on me, quite frankly. It's quite a sliding doors moment, isn't it? Because had you not been US qualified, sounds like you would have been lost to the game. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I just don't know what decision I would have taken had I not been picked up. I suspect, knowing my kind of attitude, I don't think I would have gone into work. I think I've always been a pretty headstrong, ambitious kind of person. So I suspect maybe I would have tried to plug away at the sevens route a little bit more because at the time that was a feeder into 15s. So I probably would have knocked on Friday's door a bit more and, and tried to really push myself on the invitational circuit to get myself front and center there. But it is a sign doors moment. And But that being said, you know, I, I could have turned down the US, but by that point, I was like, by hook or by crook, I am becoming a professional sportsman. This is admin. That, that was my attitude. And I think that served me well then once I got into Sarri. So I was like, right, I've got another opportunity. I'm not, I'm not wasting this. So you mentioned you were paying 13 for Nottingham and there's quite a few videos for, for Saris with a, with a 12 on your back. But the journey was towards the wing. How did that come about? Was that the coach's decision? Was it your decision? What happened? Well, Eddie signed me as a 15. He played me at 15 for the majority of the season whilst he was at the club. And funnily enough, Alex Good was a 10 at the time. And I had signed a contract with Saris, which 
allowed me to play for the US Sevens in my first year at Saracens up until the World Cup Sevens. I said to Eddie, I can't wait to sign, but I, I just want to play in the 2008 Sevens World Cup in Dubai. And he let me do that. But as I got to Saracens and gained some form, Eddie... Eddie started suggesting to me that, you know, bin off the sevens, keep playing here at 15. And we had a few injuries, I believe, and Dan Scarborough had left the club. And basically, Eddie decided that, you know, whilst I was away playing and Goody was obviously showing incredible promise, they thought, let's move him to 15 and give him a crack. And the rest is history there, right? Yeah. But at the same time, my background in rugby had been this utility because I'd played at school at 10. I'd even played at nine. I played 15 for the US. I played 13 for Nottingham my entire two seasons there. A little bit of wing here and there. So I was kind of prepared for it anyway. And so when I came back and then when Eddie left and into the 08-09 season and, and 09-010, it was very much that I was a utility back. And, and, and I was happy with that because I could, in covering positions, it meant that I was more often than not, I was going to play. And that, to be fair, when Brendan joined the club, he also favoured me on the wing, but he also saw the opportunity for me to plug in at 30. In fact, I say that I ended up playing, I played, I think, the first Premiership final on the wing, and I played the second where we beat Leicester at 13 with Brad at 12. Yeah, my abiding memories of you are just this guy bombing down the wing and finishing. Yeah. I think that's what most supporters will remember you for. So it was a journey out to the wing, wasn't it? And that's where you really became a specialist and, you know, will long live long in the memories. What happened there as well, to finish the story, which I think was interesting and shows how Saracens manage players and how it's this really good communication piece between coaches and players. It got to the end of the 13-14 season where we we lost the double. We lost against Northampton and we lost against Toulon. And for both of those finals, I was on the bench. And Smalley had come up to me and said, and I had played pretty well that season. I had been playing in different positions when different people were injured. And so I had a lot of first team starting games. And he said, look, Chris, I can't play you in the finals because we've got Stretz on one wing. We've got Ashley on the other. We've got Goody. We've got Brad at 12. Like there, there isn't a spot for you. So I kind of like digested that. And, and the next season we had a conversation. I said, look, Smalley, I, I want at the end of this season, I'm happy to fill in positions where needed because I want to be a team player. But I also want to be able to compete for one spot so that the conversation at the end of the season is we picked so-and-so over you because they played better than you in this position. Yeah. And they took that on board and, and I ended up starting in the final on the wing against Bath that next season. So that's the curse of the utility back, isn't it? Which you overcome by insisting on it, really. It's not just me insisting on it. I think it's a great example of how Saracens managed me through that process. Yeah. They did play me in, in a utility position during that season, but they, they listened to me and favoured me on the wing and gave me a shot to compete. And I think that's a great example of man management on their side. Yeah. So second part of my question, what are your abiding favourite memories of being with Saracens? On the pitch, I think the first two or three seasons culminating in the first Premiership win is right up there with that euphoric moment. Not not just because of like the final whistle blowing and, and us comp- and defending for 10 minutes on the line against Leicester, but just the journey to get there from, mm. from a realistically that first season under Brendan, just a bunch of solid rugby players with an amazing attitude, with a genuine brotherhood 
on this journey to try and prove people wrong that we can become a premiership winning team. And it came to fruition. And that was just, I think that was just an incredible journey with Saracens. It was such a unique feeling being part of that. And then the second part, I think, would be winning our first European title. Yeah. Because again, we had conquered the feeling that we could win a premiership. But then the next level up was trying to compete in Europe. And at the time, it was so difficult. You had these huge French teams with big budgets. And we managed to do it in the 15-16 season. And actually, overall, on the pitch, for me, that was just a magical season. Winning the double, beating Exeter in the final and racing Metro. It was just an amazing feeling. I was there in Lyon. It was a great day. Oh, what I mean, so so you'll know that. I mean, it was just, I think it's, 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 because it's Europe, it's almost on par with the Premiership, but it's just that because the Premiership came first, it just tips yeah. it for me. But the celebrations after Europe, I mean, like what, what a feeling getting to the pinnacle of, of club rugby. It, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, before that day, we didn't know whether really we'd ever do it, did we? You know, yeah. but it was. You know, that, that day. And poor old Rassing still haven't won it. No, no. <laughs> you know, tried it ever since. Yeah. You know. well, I don't feel sorry for them this week, especially. <laughs> yeah, they might win it now. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that's part of the attraction for Owen Goen. He sort of done it all at Saracen Savigny and he, he can finish off a chapter in his career and be a hero there as well, you know. Yeah. It's... Well, he's a proven winner, isn't he? So. Oh, totally, totally. And I haven't mentioned the off field stuff. That's been talked about a lot. So I don't think I need to labour the point. But there was one moment, one trip, where it was the first time we all went skiing as a squad. We went to Verbier and it's just like such a unique moment in time because it was so out there to take us skiing with the obvious risks. And it brought us together incredibly well because it was so unique and it was so, it felt so, what's the, I mean, it, it just felt like, it felt wrong in some ways. And so, right, we had an amazing time and it brought us so close together. And I always remember those moments being on the top of the mountains with 40 guys skiing around, having a great time together, not a rugby ball in sight. And it was all about connecting. And that, that, was, a, that was a special moment. Every single player that I've interviewed has mentioned that weekend. It was it, yeah. with a sort of disbelief in their voice that, that it actually <laughs> happened. You know, a couple of years later, we went to St. Anton and I believe they did another skiing trip after I left. And they're all incredible, all amazing. But it's a bit like winning the Premiership for the first time. The first time you're out there as a squad, when you've always been told, I believe contractually you're not allowed to because it's seen as an extreme sport if you get injured. And and it was just like, it was like another moment of euphoria. I couldn't couldn't believe it. Please all of you come and break your contracts collectively. (laughs) Couldn't have done anything, could they? No. You're listening to the Fezcast. Yeah, brilliant stuff there, Duncan, in part one. Really covered a lot of uh, uh, interesting uh, subjects there. And of course... I mean, he's sat on a sun lounger somewhere with a family, isn't he, at the moment, having a cold one. But Owen Farrell again comes up in conversation with Chris and undoubtedly we'll discuss him as we talk about the Six Nations now. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously recorded the the week that the news came out, which was which was good timing. The, the, in that first part, the bit that I, I found was fascinating is that had he not been American qualified, Chris might have been lost to the game, uh, which is interesting, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's perhaps even more pertinent now as one you see, you know, USA didn't qualify for the World Cup, weren't at the World Cup. You know, it's a hugely, you know, so much potential there as as for the game to take off. And indeed, you know, they're going to have a World Cup there at some point as well. You know, it's really important that we, we look after these, these other nations and, and grow that game, isn't it, Barry? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there were some fascinating results in the um, in, in the competition in the European Championship underneath the Six Nations, and maybe we'll get onto those later on. But uh, we do definitely need to try and grow the game, and and obviously the the easiest way to grow the game should be in the emerging nations. It's one of the most challenging aspects, isn't it? In the last round of European matches, one of the highest attended attended games was Black Lion of Tbilisi versus Claremont, seventeen thousand people. Um, so yeah, and, and as you say, Barry, Belgium beat Portugal. You know, there's there's some there's the potential for a thriving competition uh, there, and uh, it really needs to be addressed. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent agree with you on that one, but. Um, let's have a chat about the um, the Six Nations. And I think it's fair to say that there were some unusual um, results, certainly some unusual scorelines. And we'll know that from the fact that we're all doing the My Little Prediction game for Motor Nero. And, uh, you know, there was only three people. One of them was my big dog. <laughs> <laughs> who, got, who got all three uh, free winners right. Uh, yeah, that, that's my wife that entered that one on behalf of Mungo. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, people did put down Ireland to beat France. I, I think that's that's fair comment. You know, they, they had that chance. But to win in the way that they did was remarkable, wasn't it? And, you know, I, we are going to concentrate more on Saracen's players, but we think we briefly need to speak about it. One, Paul Willemsay, who's doubled down on his... Two red cards because the first one should have been a red card as well as the second one on 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 Friday night. Now turn around and say, well, what? How do you want us to tackle? And I think the answer is, Paul, not a head height, mate. And you, know, you probably want to retract that one before you go and see the disciplinary committee. Yeah, he's he's going to need some very nice biscuits when that comes up on um, Tuesday this week, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think mean, they probably some Parisian um, patisserie. I think is more more likely than the biscuits. But yeah, I mean, let's be honest about it. Though. Ireland were really, really impressive, weren't they? And, uh, I mean, I think I, the funny thing I saw the Irish comment was that you know they're now everybody's saying, well, who can beat Ireland? To which the obvious answer is whichever team plays them in the quarterfinal of the next World Cup. Well, as far as the Six Nations go, I mean. The only away match they've got is against England. And it's an England team in evolution. You know, if Ireland could do that to France, then, you know, I can't see anybody, you know, I could see a back-to-back Grand Slam for them. They were really the way that other teams have played. They were really impressive, weren't they? Um, And one of the things... You know, the, as you say, to win by that marg- margin and be so dominant, even though the French were doing their best to get sent off. But um, the other thing that was interesting is anybody who's seen the um, the Six Nations programme from last year on Netflix and has seen Sean Edwards glaring at the whole team, telling them not to fanny about, and he doesn't use the word fanny, he uses another word beginning with F, in their own half, chucking the ball to each other. And lo and behold, first half, they were doing that. I don't know what he said, what they thought he was going to say to them at half time. But I guess in many ways they were forced into doing that by the, just the sheer pressure of the Irish, who were, who were just awesome. Indeed, I think the and the, the the thing that I did say and I mentioned on on um, on Facebook when I posted about it is that I felt Ireland looked better with Jack Crowley once he grew into the game. He had a little bit of a dodgy five minutes with a charge on him, but he Ireland looked better with him at ten than they did with Johnny Sexton at the World Cup at ten. Who would have known that Johnny Sexton was holding them back? 
Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm sure we could go back and, uh, and find examples of us making that comment before in the past, Barry. Eh? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they would. Uh, but um, I mean, from an England point of view, turning it around slightly, oh, to have a uh, that much of a seamless transition at uh, at fly half. Well, indeed. Well, look, we'll we'll get on to the England Italy game now, and I mean, in the same way as. France, Ireland, where you ask the question, were Ireland that good or were France that poor? England, Italy, it's the closest Italy have come to beating us. And quite frankly, if they had beaten us, I think, you know, nobody would have begrudged them it because they played very, very well. England didn't play as well as perhaps we were expecting, but played well enough to find a way to beat a very spirited, very talented and very well-organised Italian side, Barry. Yeah, there was there was elements of England's game that that seemed to uh, to be an, an evolution. I mean, it was a few times, particularly in the first half, I noticed when we were we were actually um, we weren't waiting for Mitchell to get round the back of the back of the ruck to get the ball away. Whoever was closest was going in there and getting it because it it was the idea to get quick ball, and that worked for us for a while. It was just just a little bit just a little bit inconsistent we we had our good moments and we we had our our not so good moments and we're going to need more of the uh, more of the former on this saturday against wales that's for sure well indeed yeah and we'll discuss wales in a bit but i mean we've got a number of players from saracens duncan who were involved on the weekend and one player in particular who wasn't involved and we'll go with owen first off because i think Hopefully, not that the haters would ever admit this, and you know, you'll have to drag them across coals and rip out their fingernails with pliers and whatever to get them to admit this. But this tournament, we will potentially find out why Owen Farrell is so important for, for Saracens, uh, for England, sorry. Um, in particular, when it comes to defensive organization, because the one thing that let us down was our defensive organisation. Now, we've got a new defence coach come in, Felix Jones, who is an exceptionally good coach. I mean, you don't win two World Cups with South Africa and not be a good coach. And he's clearly got an idea of how he wants England to defend. And it's based on speed. It's based on blitzing. It's based on getting up in the faces, which is all well and good until you have one player doing it at 95 mile an hour when everybody else is doing 70 mile an hour. And Henry Slade was the source of so many doglegs and and created overlaps for Italy that they exploited on two or three occasions. And really, you know, if I Henry Slade, I'm assuming, is the defensive leader now in that side as a senior player, he didn't do a great job of being defensive leader, Duncan. He didn't. I think, look, we're well aware of the, the context to, to this game in that Italy were a team who had over 90 points scored against them by the All Blacks in the World Cup. So having said that, though, there were a couple of things that I found really enjoyable about the game. A, that Italy look like, you know, whether it's this year, next year or the year after, they're going to become especially when they're playing Wales and Scotland and even England, real contenders, I think. You know, they're doing incredibly well at under 20. And I think that's going to feed through into the senior team. And that that's really good news. The style of play that England played, I thought, was so much more enjoyable than we'd seen over the summer and in the World Cup. It was a totally different style of play. I think in, the, in terms of the defence, they were clearly not up to speed with the game plan in the first half. 
they were, I think, in the second half, at which point you saw the Italians weren't able, with, with one or two exceptions, to play some of that great running rugby they were playing in the first half. So, I, you know, I expect England to get better over the tournament as they get more and more used to the new defensive patterns. And indeed, surprisingly enough, as it comes from Riggle, Richard Rigglesworth as attack coach, a much more dynamic style of play going forward as well. Well, indeed, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? That it, we are seeing an evolution of the team. And I, something I commented before the World Cup is that I felt the World Cup gave Steve Borthwick a bit of a, a free pass in so much as that mm. he was taking on from Eddie Jones, um, you know, and had to work with what Eddie Jones had given him almost. Now you're seeing him saying, right, OK, I'm going to evolve. He's brought in some new caps, five new caps, I was slightly disappointed that Finn Smith didn't start ahead of George Ford, particularly George Ford was a bit of a barn door swinging in the breeze in the first half in defence. And against City, it would have been an ideal game to blood Finn Smith from the start. That's a disappointment. But yeah, you're right. They brought some youngsters in, uh, some new players. Some did well. Tommy Freeman, I thought, was excellent. Had a really good game. And, you know, it, it shows an evolution, which perhaps France haven't got grips of. And, you know, when we talk about Wales and Scotland, have they got grips of, you know, I'm not seeing England as being Grand Slam champion uh, uh, this year, but I do see a progression which builds into the next World Cup cycle. Barry's what you want to see, isn't it? Yeah, um, we, we there is there is a change there. there. There is an evolution, as you say. There's a lot of a lot of new talent, um, five five new caps, and I think there's going to be more coming in over the next few weeks as well. So he has he, he started to make that change. I get what you're saying about Finn Smith, and personally, I would him but he probably looked at that and thought you know what we just need the odd um experienced head and i mean george ford's not really been on form this season since he's back from his injury but you can see why he's picked him um but hopefully he'll he'll say okay well let's let's give finn a go against wales indeed well yeah i mean but let's bring it back to saracens and say you know there were four players started for saracens um, Elliot Daly, he seems to be getting an awful lot of grief based on a trip at the end, which is, you know, I said to you off air, didn't I, Duncan? That was just a knee-jerk, literally a knee-jerk reaction at, towards the end of a game when you're on your bootstraps. That could happen to anybody. It's, you know, it's not the big issue that everybody's making it. Ben Earl made more yards, more carries, more tackles than anybody else without really setting the world on fire particularly. But then he is on his way back from injury, I think. Um, Jamie George captain the team well. You know he was going to. He, he kept the referee on side, and we didn't see the one criticism you have of Owen is the, the competitive nature of him that we see now Peter Omani bringing it to the Irish side. And he's been uh, um, uh, uh, slightly told off for dropping the F-bomb on the referee on, on Friday night. Um, but the one player I thought, and he got into my team of the week, so I, I always pick a team from all the games of the week. And Mara Toji got in ahead of Tark Byrne, um, which a lot of people have sort of gone, you sure? But Maro's work at a breakdown, once he came back from the couple of penalties he gave away and, and readjusted his game, was excellent. But his line-out work was phenomenal. I mean, he single-handedly, you know, the one thing that Italy couldn't get a grip on was their line-out. They lost line-out ball because Mara Toji was calling it, picking it, and and attacking in the right way, Duncan. 
you're, you're absolutely right. They all played really well. And Theo, when he came on, did really well as, you know, he did his dynamic uh, stuff as well. I, I thought Eric um, Elliot Daly was great. Yeah, mm. it was a silly trip. I got him a yellow card, and that's a bit of a howler. But as you say, it's towards the end of the game when you when uh, I'm told you do do these things. But no, overall, and I love the the interplay he had with the other wing. They were often crossing over, uh, being very fluid and uh, very creative. Indeed, yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, and as I say, it's a progression. That's what we want to see. Now. We're going to have to talk about Wales versus Scotland, and because I mean that was just batshit crazy, wasn't it? I mean I cannot. Uh, well, the first thing I'm going to say about Wales versus Scotland, Barry, is that was Finn Russell's career in 80 minutes. When <laughs> if you've got a player on the front or, or a team on the front foot, there is no better standoff in the world than Finn Russell. And and he ran the game without play without Scotland really playing as fantastically as everybody thought they were. Wales were abysmal first half, as bad. I mean, at one point I thought, I messaged my mate up in Scotland, Graham Smith, and said, you're going to embarrass Wales here. And it, at one point it looked like it could have been 50, 60 points, crazy. Now, obviously, they've gone in the um, change room and Warren Gatland, normally takes Warren Gatland about two or three games in the Six Nations to work out, actually, just trust these skillful players you've got. Because they've got a lot of skillful players and let them have their heads. And and it's taken him 40 minutes, which doesn't bode well for England next week because if you second game, they're still doing their yeah, the gap ball. And but second half they came out and they attacked Scotland and Finn Russell just went missing. And when you're the captain as well, you know, he, he, he just couldn't be asked, Duncan. Was it just him? I don't know. I, I was out with a load of non-rugby um, fan friends uh, for lunch. Got got home halfway through the first half, and you know what's that, what's that to a load of people? Have, have Wales been this rubbish the whole game? To which the answer came back, yeah, and they were dire. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> really dire. And the second half, what the hell happened? Was it just Finn Russell? I don't know. It's uh, but something happened, and it was just an extraordinary game. You know, you ask yourself which Wales is going to turn up against England next week. Maybe it'll be both of them, one well, in each half again. Well, indeed, I think that, yeah, I mean, it was almost incomprehensible, the the change round. I mean, it was almost like the first half Scotland were playing with a gale force win behind them and then played into it in the second half. It was that. that Maybe they put some fans in there. When they put the roof on, they put some fans in that stadium so that they, they get that. Well, yeah, and I mean, this is where we come into the other um, Saracens player who was involved in Six Nations, and that second half was a very good second half for a couple of reasons for Andy Christie to miss. One, because there's a couple of back row players there, Jamie Ritchie in particular, who was who's a blindside playing at seven. I think that's their dues, who really didn't, you know, for an experienced player, he didn't show up for me either. Um, and... I, if you're Gregor Townsend, I think Luke Crosby got an injury as well. You know, you're bringing Andy Christie in for the for their next game, or, or should do, because, I mean, otherwise, you know, you look at Andy and think, where do you go from here? Because he would do a better job than their back row. So it was a good second half for him to miss, Barry. Yeah, I mean, Andy, Andy's bang on form. And if you pick on form, it's hard, it's hard to see how he missed out Last weekend, you certainly can't see him missing out again this weekend. Absolutely, it's not. a shame you can't carry out a scientific experiment, isn't it? And 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 go back and bring Andy Christie on for the second <laughs> half. I mean, with the form that he's in, maybe he would have done something. You don't know, do you? 
No, absolutely not. I mean, that's, yeah, that's interesting. It, it, it was just, yeah, well, look, if we get as much excitement in the next um, four rounds of games, we'll be very happy, won't we, chaps? Yeah, and Nick Tompkins, by the way, uh, your second half was his dynamic self, wasn't he? He was putting yeah. himself about doing what he does. He was, he was as dynamic himself in the second half as he was as poor in the first half. I think <laughs> I think he put the wrong the wrong spray on. I think he put fairy liquid on his hands, not not uh, not uh, grippy spray, didn't he? But I mean, yeah, a sign of a good player is one who can have a bad half and come back and just put it behind him and 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 carry on. There it is again. It's Saracen's fault again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we could be blamed for everything, can't we? That's a fair days. Look, shall we um, finish that there? And uh, and hopefully Matt will be quite impressed with the editing and everything that we didn't go on too long there about the Six Nations. But we'll come back then and talk, um, play in your second part of the interview with Chris Wiles. And it would be interesting because I know in the second half you talk about his international career and indeed regrets or um and highlights of that uh and, and then obviously his business career which is absolutely fascinating to hear hi this is petrus de Blasi, and you are listening to the Fezcast. this is the Fezcast. let's go on to your international career then which is pretty stellar three world cups captain of the national team most capped fullback we touched on this before. It sounds like no reason for you to have any, but you haven't got any regrets about joining the country of your birth as opposed to the country of your parents. Uh, look, I'll, I'll I'll answer this honestly. I have huge amounts of uh, what, what am, what's the word I'm looking for. I have I I feel very thankful to the US to basically getting my career back on track and giving me the opportunity. And then I've had wonderful moments, met amazing people, being being able to compete in three World Cups and playing for the US was a fantastic experience. And fundamentally, I, I grew up in the US and lived there till I was 11. So my, I have amazing childhood memories of the US and so I feel extremely connected to it. But I picked up rugby in England. And so I'd be lying to say that as I reflect on my career, there wouldn't be a, a small part of me to say, I would have loved to have had that feeling uh, stepping out into Twickenham in an England shirt. Of course I would have, but the world doesn't work that way. And as I said before, I'm so hugely thankful to the US and for what it allowed me to do in my career and the people I've met, et cetera. So I think that's the honest way I can answer it, right? I think, I think I'd, be, I'd be lying to myself if the idea of, yeah, scoring a try at Twickenham for England wouldn't have been a, a fun thing to do. I mean, looking back overall, it hasn't gone badly, is it? No. In, including, there's a lot of talk at the moment of Anton Dupont going to the Olympics, but that's a trail that you've blazed. Yeah. So how was it going to Rio in 2016? Well, again, another sign of the way Saracens manage their players. You know, I'm pretty headstrong when it comes to these things. And, and I said I wanted to compete in the sevens and I was 31, 32. So not exactly young. And they said, sure, go ahead. Gave me their blessing, which which again was great. So I had nothing, no weight on my shoulders in terms of the club, which was fantastic. And then it was tough. I had to go from a season of 15s straight into a summer of sevens training. And it's fundamentally, you've got to be a different body shape. You've got to be conditioned differently. So it was it was tough and Mike Friday had created a fantastic environment with the US Sevens they were on the circuit competing we had great players Madison Hughes Perry Baker Colin Isles Danny Barrett guys that were making a huge impact so I turned up and I was under pressure and I was a bit older and so I had to perform and it was it was super tough and again Mike Friday talking about man management my wife was pregnant at the time so I was away for 
the latter stages of the pregnancy. And when I made the team, my son Finn was born. And the next day I went to the Olympics for three weeks. Wow. So it was pretty tough. So yeah, I made the squad. And then yeah, being part of Team USA, incredible experience. As we all know, the US put a lot of emphasis on the Olympics. So just incredible. Some incredible moments walking into the opening ceremony with Team USA, the basketball team walking next to us, some of the athletes, Serena Williams sitting next to us in the dining hall, chatting away. It was all a bit surreal, but ultimately a bit frustrating as we had the potential to medal for sure. And I think we ended up coming ninth. And with sevens, it, it can just be the a bounce of a ball. And unfortunately, our first game against Argentina in the pool stages was really the make or break game for us. And, and we just lost that. It was both incredible and from a performance side, a little bit frustrating. I was going to ask about how difficult it was to increase that fitness and whether Anton Dupont's having any regrets because he's, he's just started right now, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I, I get the sense someone like him, he's so talented and seems to be such a physical specimen that I, I think he will adapt quickly. But also he's committed to, to playing on the seven circuit previously. Now that is something I didn't do. I played in the qualifying sevens tournament the summer before. And then Mike, myself and the club agreed that I'd be free after the Saracen season because we were competing for finals. So I went from the 15-16 season where we won the double against so the final at Twickenham against Exeter, had all of our celebrations. And the next weekend, I was in Chula Vista, San Diego, training for sevens. In hindsight, I would have loved to have spent some time on the circuit, but it just wasn't possible. Nate Ebner, who came from the Patriots, I believe spent the second half of the seventh circuit with the team and then rolled into the summer block of training before he picked the squad. And that's what DuPont is doing, which I think is fundamentally the best approach. Yeah. So many players have talked about how difficult it is to give up the career, give up the camaraderie, give up the sense of purpose, etc. Give up the adrenaline rush. But you and Alistair Hargreaves seem to have things pretty well planned in advance with Wolfpack, which you set up with the help of the Club and Green King, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we set the business up in 2014 and it's been a great transition, a great weapon to have in our arsenal to help us to to move away from the club and get into a kind of the, the working world. But I, I would still say that the way I look at it, and I'm now five years retired and I reflect on it a little bit, obviously, as we all do, is I think there are pillars, you know. So you might have financial health as you retire, but you might not have fulfilled the kind of pillar of purpose. So you might not be have found a job that is really fulfilling the purpose. Or you might have a job with, with lots of purpose and lots of camaraderie, but it's not really where you need to be financially because um, often you retire with a mortgage and kids and overheads. And so I, I, I kind of feel, you know, from my perspective, it was great. Wolfpack was a great thing to retire into, but it doesn't replace for me the full camaraderie or the competitiveness that you had every weekend. So there's elements that where it really helped and there's elements where I think it just, it's always going to be difficult. I think you, I, I, you know, some players leave the sport and are just delighted to get out of it. I think my feeling is that I would say that more often than not, there's a tricky element somewhere along the line, somewhere with one of those pillars, right? It's such a unique life, isn't it? As I say, being part of that team, having the single purpose, having the excitement of what you do, it it must be almost impossible to replicate. It's, it's just such a bubble. I mean, if, if I relate it to a business, for example, I came out of sport and we're very used to black and white results and your life is 
you get instant results. You play on a weekend in front of thousands of people and the TV, you get big highs or big lows, and then you build for a week. And what I found in business and just generally out of that bubble is that things just take longer and take more time and you have to be more patient and you have to compound decisions and activity. And there's just a level of patience and composure that I think you need in normal working life. Whereas in sport, it's so fast paced, so fast moving such big highs that you I felt that's where I needed to adjust. But you don't have that pressure of standing in front of ten or twenty thousand people in a wind with the with the ball coming down and no. you've got to catch it, do you? <laughs> no, you don't and, and that was in, in fairness, that was the great you know, the great thing about Saracens is you always felt we were such a great club. I was able to play in such a unique generation of the club that you, you always felt confident going out into the pitch. And so I can imagine, whereas I did feel the, the difficulty of playing that season in Northampton and I felt everything just kind of closing in on me. So I'm very fortunate to have been at, at the right club at the right time. That training as a rugby player, I can imagine when you go into business, it gives you a good background on team building, on goal setting, less so on cash flow planning and marketing, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. How did you fill in those gaps when you set the business up? Well, Al and I's thesis was... Let's set a business up and let's learn by doing. And more than likely, we're going to make a bunch of mistakes, which we did. But at the end of your career, we could at least go out into the working environment, have an interview and say, we set this business up and it failed for this reason. As it happens, we were able to work through the challenges. I'll give you a great example. We had the bus from 2014 onwards. We had the bus there every other weekend, as you know. Now, that was working well. And we brought someone over from South Africa, one of our close friends, Scott. And he was on a salary. And it wasn't until the end of the season where there were no games that we had to consider cash flow because there was no revenue coming in from games. And we started to pay Scott. And so it was a very early lesson in cash flow management. And that was the thesis. We wanted to learn by doing. And then we have to kind of overcome these challenges. And then the second point is that we were where we didn't feel we had expertise, which as you can imagine was was most places. We were trying where as best as possible outsource that. So when we opened our first bar in Queen's Park, we had to go through quite a difficult change of use and some planning. And so we obviously brought in um, a legal team that could do that for us. And so we felt like at the time we were there to help shape and guide this business around, but then rely on experts to help us through the challenges. Hospitality is a really competitive market and a startup, I think, is one of the hardest things to do. And then you had the pandemic yeah, in hospitality. But how did you cope with that? The pandemic was really tough. We opened our second bar in West Hampstead. I think three weeks before everything was closed down. Fortunately for us, we had decided to contract brew. And so we didn't have the overheads of a brewery. And on top of that, actually, the elements that the government put in place were really helpful to us. So we furloughed most of our team. We had really positive conversations with our landlords and we deferred our rent. And we actually brought down our monthly cash burn to a really small amount. And so it was actually really manageable for us as a business. Because as I say, we didn't have the overheads of the manufacturing on the brewery. And really what we then were able to do was build some community equity. When we were coming out of lockdown, we took our Defender around Queen's Park, West Hampstead, different areas, handing out free beers. (laughs) So we sort of used it uh, as an opportunity. A lot of businesses moved and shifted into this omni-channel approach where they would start selling a lot of their products online, etc. We kind of did less of that and focused on building equity within the communities because a social equity in the communities because we, we knew that coming out of COVID, we wanted to reopen the bars. And a lot of what we try and do is to make an impact 
where our bars are at and within and within those communities. So it was actually, when I look back on it, it could have been a lot worse for us. Luckily, no huge amounts of debt. I wish I'd known you were giving away a beer. <laughs> I saw something about Jamie George says every time he um, he scores a try or something, there's going to be free beer in the Wolfpack. How, how, yeah. how do you make sure you're there for that? Yeah, I know. Be there on Six Nations Day, is it? Yeah, as soon as you see Jamie at the back of a, of a driving moor, run into Wolfpack. I know, he's a high try scorer from that position. It's going to cost him a few, Bob. I know, to be fair, he's also got the ability to score tries from anywhere, really. Yeah, yeah. Done some, even some kicking, chip and go. I think it was, a, was it your last game against Exeter when he first did one of those long runs and everybody was going, blimey, look at, look at that guy go, this little barrel-shaped fella. I think there's one against Bath in the final where he burst through. That's it. Went on a long run. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's the one. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So you're a major presence at Stonex now, as you say, with the bus, providing us all with some great beer. What's the ongoing relationship with Saris and what's the shape of the business now? Yeah, we, we still have the bus at the ground and it's no longer on the corner where you can stand in, at the top of the deck and watch the game. But we've got a great spot with some other offerings and... Yeah, it's, you know, with Saracens, they're still really supportive. So like we add value to the stadium and moving forward, we definitely want to continue trying to open up more bars and just distribute our, our beers more and more across the UK. So really it's, it's more of the same, but of course there are the challenges of some of the macro climate as we've all faced in, in recent years. So perhaps we haven't been able to grow as fast as we would have liked going into COVID and coming out of that, but yeah, the, the business is in good shape. Al is, is leading us and driving us forward. And I think there are some good things to come from Wolfpack. Oh, that's good. And I certainly enjoy going to the bars. Have Gloucester let you back in yet? <laughs> no, I don't think we want to be back. We don't want to be there. No. <laughs> Silly buggers. Yeah, that was a that was a, a funny situation. No, we're happy, we're happy where we are. We don't need Gloucester. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, as I said before, thanks so much for doing this, Chris. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. And very much hope to uh, run into you either in one of your bars or down at the Stonex. Yeah, cheers, Duncan. Enjoy chatting. Thanks for your time. Cheers. This is the Fezcast. Well, yeah, well done, Duncan. Fantastic interview with Chris there. And again, uh, so much insight into... Being a rugby player is such a short career, isn't it? And being prepared for afterwards and what you do afterwards and 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 actually you know if you're spending your entire life doing rugby really important even if you're not going to do business for people to be educated it appears that you know at saracens you've seen barrow itoji for instance has just recently got his master's degree or whatever i always remember brian clough you're an old forest person everything like that and and he was very keen on one having players who were married because he wanted them going home to their wife at the end of the night not down to the local boozer but also having players that were prepared to be educated and to get qualifications that if it did go wrong they'd got something to fall back on and i think that is apparent at saracens that they do that as well duncan except he used to fight like hell with Martin O'Neill because Martin O'Neill was an intelligent person who'd answer back and Brian Clough didn't like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Mark McCall is a very, very different person indeed to uh, to Brian Clough. I certainly couldn't have coped with him. Uh, for, and I won't go into the stories I've heard. I, you know, I know dead people can't see you, but boy. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, at that time, you know, both with Wolfpack and um, 
Tiki Tonga and uh, George Cruz's cannabis business, as I like to call it, <laughs> um, there was um, a fantastic amount of support for uh, for players uh, uh, post career, and I thought it was a brilliant thing. I, I hope as much goes on now. Well, yeah, uh, bearing in mind that those less. Um, enlightened than the management at Saracens saw it as a perk and and you know it's ridiculous and when you look at the players that give up playing and you know if they give up and there's nothing in their life I mean it, it, it's a minefield particularly on mental health that if you if you're just taking your pound of flesh and then chucking them out I always remember is it Enzo Ferrari um, talking about Grand Prix drivers and he just Never saw them as as an asset, you know. If Peter Collins died at a Grand Prix, he just brought in another one. Or Gilles Villeneuve died, he never got attached to him. He just brought in the next next cab off the rank, almost as it were. And you know, you can't treat people like that. You've got to look after people and make sure they're all right going forward. There's a huge number of Premier League footballers who who are literally hundreds times more than than rugby players who end up bankrupt. Yeah. Um, because the reasons that you say, a, a, seeking a replacement for that adrenaline, a lot of them get into gambling. A lot of the pressures that Joel Tompkins talked about that, that, that they suffer from. And, and just, you know, having the rest of your life. And what the hell do you do? And Marcello Bosch talked about that, didn't he? About, you know, that one of the things he had to find was what was he going to do when he got up? And also, I mean, the fact of the matter is as well that if you're, you know, a reasonably good rugby player at 11 and you're earning 10 grand a week or whatever it may be or whatever the, the wages are on, and then you suddenly finish and you're not getting that money in every month, but still you've got a lifestyle or whatever to that you want to continue, and you're still a young guy, you know. I mean, I'm 52 and I still, you know, you got to look at your finances every day and everything. If you're, you know... 32, 33, and you suddenly, you, you know, it's very difficult, isn't it? But that was one of the great positive thing about um, the interview with Chris, wasn't it? That, you know, he acknowledged that he'll never find anything as exciting again. But, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd found that mix between, you know, earning some money and doing something that was fulfilling, that, that will sustain him through through his life. And uh, it's great to hear about someone who who's met that challenge and, uh, and um you know, coach with it very, very well. Indeed, yeah. Fantastic interview. And we'll say thank you to Chris for spending that time with us. Now, Barry, Duncan, uh, we're going to end the show now, but just time to remind everybody that coming up this Saturday, 12.30 kickoff, so you should be able to get along to Stone X and get to a bar afterwards uh, to see the uh, Six Nations games. Certainly, if I drive quick enough home, I should be home in time to watch uh, the England uh, England-Wales game or maybe watch it on plus one and just have the radio turned off on the way home through the likely lads' journey back. But yeah, we cannot recommend enough that people come along to the duel at Stonex, Saracens women versus Quinns women. Our chance to to do the double on Quinns, our chance to nil them in two games as well. I mean, I, I mean that's perhaps a bit of wishful thinking, isn't it, Barry? But um, you guys go into the game? Yeah. Where? Absolutely. Very good question. 
My <laughs> wife and I have been um, told that we're taking charge of our grandsons this um, this Saturday. So what I might do is arrange to take them out for a walk around about a quarter to 12. So if you see someone down there who's got two children who are way, way too young to be there, then that would be me. <laughs> That's a fair dues. And you, Barry, you're coming along, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're having a bit of a fest to get together because there's, there's several of us going. So, uh, And we may even be wearing our, our snazzy new kit. So but, look, here's a challenge to any of our listeners. See if you can find us and introduce yourselves. A bit like Where's Wally? <laughs> <laughs> where's no, I'm announcing Wally's. a competition here. Spot just then to buy you a pint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I shall be I shall be in, in Mufti anyway. But look, um, gentlemen, thank you for your time uh, recording this. Thank you to uh, Sharifa, uh, Joe and Matt for their interview. And of course, as I say, thanks to Chris Wiles as well for his time. A bumper show there. Um, really enjoyed that though. And as I say, we'll be back next week reviewing the Six Nations games and of course, the jewel at Stonex where we hope to see another win for Saracens women. Uh, thanks everybody. All the best. Answer off. This is the Fezcast.